Uh, a few years ago, my wife and I, Brittany and I, took a, a weekend getaway up to northeast Alabama, and we went rappelling, rappelling. Uh, I don't know if any of you know what that is. This is actually a picture on the screen of, of Brittany here behind me uh, that was coming down. Uh, I think it is. Here it comes. There we go. Um, this is a picture of, of Brittany that we, we were like backing our way down the side of a cliff, and uh, we do this every weekend. No, I'm just kidding. We don't. <laughs> we don't. Uh, but we've done that a couple times. We took the college ministry here when, uh, when we were here at Lindsay Lane with the college ministry and uh, had a lot of fun. Uh, but as we, uh, we tackled that, I, I remember getting harnessed up and getting to the edge of the side of the cliff and looking over and actually seeing the drop down and all those things. And, and truthfully, I remember this being a lot of fun, but it was also really scary. It was uh, really fearful. Um, and, and so as I'm, I, again, as I'm getting myself ready and I'm making my way to the edge and I'm putting my feet like this and I'm inching backwards and all my faith is in a rope and a tree, right? Like that's because I have no experience or expertise. So this is what I'm putting my faith in. As I'm backing down, y'all, I'm serious. I got nervous. Now my wife's looking at me and I'm like, come on, man, I'm going to do this, you know? And like, I, I keep, I'm trying to build myself up. Well, they have this, this outfitter that we're with. They have these guides that are at the top and at the bottom of the cliff. And they are, are talking you through it. They're encouraging you. They're talking about safety and this is how you do this and this is how you do that, which I'm glad that they're there. They're not a big help to me right now because I'm walking back down, right? And, and the guy that was, was our guide that's up at the top of the cliff was a believer. He's a follower of Jesus. Like we got to talking about it. There's kind of a Christian angle to this outfitter that we were with. And so as, as he's in front of me, he, he's going to encourage me with faith, but he's also kind of a hippie. So, so he would start saying things, and I was like, man, I'm nervous. He would be like, God's not giving us a spirit of fear, brother. Like he would talk like that. <laughs> you know, and he's like, one of power and love and self-discipline. And I was like, what? You know? I was like, well, hey, brother, there's a lot in the Bible about wisdom, and this seems really foolish. You know, like, what are we doing? And so, again, I, so we made our way down. It was a hundred-foot drop, you know, and it, it was really fun. In fact, as we got to the bottom, we enjoyed it. And uh, I promise I did it. I feel like they only took a picture of Brittany. They didn't take a picture of me, but she can testify to the fact that I did go down the cliff. Um, but I give you that illustration because what we're about to look at is Jesus is about to lead his disciples through fear. He's about to encourage them through hesitation. He's going to talk them through it. And the way he does it is, is really interesting. So we're going to look in Luke chapter 12, verses 4 through 7. And the scripture says, Dear friends, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot do any more to you after that. But I'll tell you whom to fear. Fear God, who has the power to kill you and then throw you into hell. Yes, he is the one to fear. What is the price of five sparrows, two copper coins? Yet God does not forget a single one of them. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Lord, would you guide us into all truth? Father, I pray that what we've just read is words out of your own mouth. This is your breath of life for us. May we stand on it. And God, I just pray that you would lead us through this time. Father, if we are to make a response in our own heart and life, that we would do so. If we need to decide to turn from ourselves today and turn to you. Lord, if we need to join the church, if we need to take the next step of baptism or getting in a group or, Lord, whatever it looks like in our life, if we just need to stand on your word and be confident that you are who you say you are, Lord, that today that faith would begin. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Again, in Luke chapter 12, Jesus is talking, he's leading, he's navigating his disciples through fear. And before our passage in Luke chapter 12, as we often do, I take you back to Luke chapter 11 because there's a key verse in chapter 11 that lets you know why the disciples are getting kind of scared, why they're afraid. The scripture says in verse 53 of chapter 11, as Jesus was leaving, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees became hostile and tried to provoke him with many questions. This was an angry group growing. The religious leaders, the Pharisees, and God was trying to save first through the nation of Israel. And many of those, this initial group of religious leaders and Pharisees, were were rejecting God and were even becoming hostile towards Jesus because, well, ultimately because Jesus told them the truth. God tells the truth always. God's going to tell us the truth every time we open the scriptures and open our heart to his leading. And in the preceding verses before 53... Jesus is going to spend time with the religious leaders of the day, and he's going to confirm their religion and their works, but he's also going to reveal their heart. He's going to talk to them about the motives in which they do what they do, why they do what they do, because motives matter to God. He says to them in verse 39, You wash your hands in ceremony, but your heart is full of greed and wickedness. Your hands are clean, but your heart is dirty, is what Jesus is saying to them. And then he says in verse 42, You tithe to the scent. And you should tithe, is what Jesus says. You should tithe, yes. He says that you tithe to the sin, but he says, you ignore justice and the love of God. So you give out of your wallet, but you ignore doing what's right and loving people. Now, how is that spiritual life? So basically, Jesus has spent time with those who think that they are real before God, and he has exposed the darkness because he is the light. In other words, they're hypocrites. That's really what the Scripture is leading us to know about the Pharisees and religious leaders. They're hypocrites. A hypocrite is someone who appears to be more spiritual than they really are. A hypocrite is an actor. It's somebody that pretends to be spiritual for the sake of presentation, that pretends to be spiritual for the sake of their own peace of mind, like if I act this way, maybe I'll buy into it that I really am this way. And and so Jesus is is calling them out for having no substance of real spirituality. There's no justice in your life. There's no love in your life. Your heart is full of greed. Your heart, the inside of you, is full of wickedness, man. The light exposes the darkness. And so when Jesus does that, they get mad at him. Because what happens to all of us when we're hit with the truth? Until we process it as the truth, we do not like it. Because the truth is going to do what? The truth is going to cause us to change. Jesus was uncovering their motives, and he was doing it face to face. And they didn't care for that at all because of their devotion. Now, their devotion was not to God. Their devotion was to tradition. Their devotion was to the law. Their devotion was to vainglory, meaning they wanted to devote themselves. And when they walked in a room, people saw them coming and they gave them praise. They loved that. And so this was what their devotion was was to. And rather than receiving his words as truth, they became hostile. They, they, They became angry at Jesus to the point of where they wanted to do something bad to him. So the teachers of religious law and Pharisees are salty. They don't like this at all. And as tensions are growing... Jesus is sensing the fear coming off of the disciples. And he's going to speak into that fear as everything is intensifying. He senses the need to encourage them. And so in chapter 12, verses 4 through 7, he's going to give them two, don't be afraid. And that's what we're going to give you today. As God's word still speaks and is alive today, amen? He's going to give us two, don't be afraid. And 2020 is a good time to talk about, not just because it's October and Halloween's around the corner, 
But it's a good time in 2020 to talk about why we should not be afraid. Amen. I want to pray one more time. Lord, would you settle our hearts and minds in on your word and pray, God, that we receive it as truth in Jesus' name. Amen. The first don't be afraid he gives them in verses 4 and 5 is don't be afraid of those who oppose you. Jesus, I want you to notice this in verse 4, as it says, Dear friends, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot do any more to you after that. But I tell you to fear, fear God who has the power to kill you and throw you into hell. Yes, he is the one to fear. Did you notice that Jesus called his disciples friends? That's important because it's a term of endearment. It's something that we use, parents especially, grandparents the same thing. We'll get our kids, those who we influence before us, and say, listen, I love you. Not only do I know the truth, but I care enough about you to give it to you. And so he's caused them, dear friends, to set up that relationship to let them know the reason why I'm telling you why I'm about to tell you or what I'm about to tell you is because I love you. You can trust me with what I'm about to say. And so he says that in verse 4. And then we read in verse 4, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. A couple of things here because I find these two verses to be fascinating. And I don't use that word much. In fact, I don't know if I could spell it. It, It's fascinating, these these verses. When you take a look at what's really going on here, two things to note. One, the confidence of Jesus when he is speaking to the disciples about the threat of death. Did you notice the confidence that Jesus had as he is speaking to those who follow him about the topic of death, about the possibility of them being killed even? Here's the situation. Pharisees, Backed into a corner by the truth. Angry. Can't do anything about it, but they're going to. But it was not only that. If you read in chapter 12, verse 1, the Bible tells us about the crowd that's growing. And it's not a crowd that's considerate and social distance and considerate of everyone. This is not that kind of crowd. This is a crowd that is growing, a crowd that is becoming themselves a little bit hostile. That they, the Scripture says that they are milling about and they are stepping on each other. Because they're there for personal gain. They want to see a show put on. And if you don't give them the show that they want, then who knows what's going to happen. This is what's happening with this crowd. So as all of this is taking place, Jesus is seeing the fear on the face of the disciples. And this is what the words that he says to them. Hey guys, don't be afraid about all these people out here, the ones that are mad and the crowd that's growing. Hey, the worst thing to do is kill you. All right, y'all ready? All right. And that's really it. That's really what Jesus just told them. I mean, it's, it's crazy when you, you think about it in the here and now. This week, I, got, I, I gave a devotion to a football team. I spoke this same thing. Can you imagine a football coach gathering his team together before the game and saying, guys, hey, listen, I know that they're, they're ranked number one and they're undefeated. But gentlemen, listen to me now. The worst thing they can do is beat you 100 to nothing. Let's bring it in. This is crazy when you think about what Jesus has said to them. The worst thing they can do is kill your body. Well, (laughs) that seems kind of bad, right? I mean, as, as you're looking at this, Jesus knows the scope of eternity. He knows how big and how meaningful and how valuable is how valuable eternity is when compared to the here and now. So this is why he says to them, don't be afraid. Of those that want to kill your body, they cannot do any more to you after that. Then he says, but I tell you to fear, fear God who has the power to kill you and then throw you into hell. Yes, he is the one to to, he's the one to fear. When, When the when the Bible speaks of death, as Jesus is speaking of death, when the Bible speaks of death, it refers to physical death. 
It refers to the shell that we have going in the ground. It does not refer to the soul. So when a man dies, when a woman dies, it's not over. Not by a long shot. This is the truth of the scripture. The body dies, but our soul, the immaterial part of us that is alive to God, lives on. One way or the other. And this is evident as Jesus here in these verses is placing a greater emphasis on eternity as he mentions one option of eternity in verse 5. He says hell. Is hell really in the Bible? Yes, it is. Jesus said it out of his own mouth. And he said it when he's mentioning eternity. Is hell a real place? According to God's word, according to the mouth of Jesus, yes, it is. Hell is that place that is a real, everlasting, final punishment place. You see, I don't, I don't say and talk about hell today with a lot, of, a lot of fire and all these kinds of things because, listen, this is fear and trembling type stuff. This is real. Jesus mentions a, a place that is for those who remain in their sin and don't turn from themselves and turn to God. Those who do not repent and call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. They will spend eternity separate from God. Away from God. No more will they be able to call on Him for salvation. This is what the Bible is, this is how serious this is. And the reason that Jesus speaks this way is it because it gets the soul's attention about how important eternity is. So as they are becoming fearful, Jesus has the confidence of, of eternity. Because basically Jesus is saying to them, guys, if you're with me, you're good. So you should fear God who has the power to throw you out or to bring you in. Secondly, the thing that I notice of these fascinating verses is the conviction of Jesus as he is speaking to his disciples about the power of God. Jesus knows how powerful God is, which is why he's telling them, don't worry about that crowd over there and don't worry about this little pocket of resistance over here. You really ought to fear God even above all things. So what he's doing is he's not telling them not to fear at all. He's telling them to fear God above all. Take a note on this. Seriously, if you get a pen, write this down on your notes and your bulletin. Man has limited capacity to help or to harm. Man has limited capacity to help or to harm. Christians, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, if Christ is the security of your eternity, if you have turned from yourself and turned to God, Jesus is your Lord, is your Savior, you should not panic in current events. You should not panic when it comes to people, when it comes to politics, because the worst that can happen is that your body dies and you go on to heaven. The best thing that can happen is that some of these people around here on earth can help you a little bit, and then you die of something else and go on to heaven. People have a limited capacity to harm and to help. Paul said what? To, to, live, to live as Christ, to die is gain. See, that's the way the Scripture looks at eternal life and life on this earth. Now, I want you to think about people with the, the capacity they have to help. Because people can help, and we ought to be helping, right? But when, when my wife and I, when Brittany and I have the chance to sit down with young couples that are about to get married, and, and we're doing premarital counseling, we talk to them about how the issues of immorality and insecurity do not stop once you get married. The temptations for those things just don't shut down because you get married. Now, your spouse is to be your helper, biblically. A spouse is to absolutely be a helpmate to help you with those temptations of immorality and insecurity. But your spouse, even the scripture says, your spouse is a helpmate, not a solver. Two different things. 
only God can solve. Only God has all power. Only God has all truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life. This, only God can do that. So because people are limited in their ability to harm or to help, and God has all power to harm or to help, you better fear God instead of man, is what Jesus is telling us. This is the confidence that Jesus has knowing God. Jesus as God the Son, knowing the power of God in his, the totality of his essence, knowing that he is all-powerful, that we should not fear human, we should fear God who has all power. Now, Jesus knows the scope of eternity. He knows that the power of God is limitless. So he says to his disciples, don't give your fear to people, give it to God. Now, again, this is a good place to take a note. Whatever or whoever has your fear has you. Whatever or whoever has your fear has you. Now, what do I mean by that? If we are fearful of people, and I will tell you, a, a lot of us are. A lot of us are fearful of people with a different worldview than we have. If we are fearful, if we're scared of people that have a different worldview than we have, then we're going to do one of two things. One, we're going to play to them. We don't really believe what they're talking about, but because we're afraid that we're going to be on the outside or because we're afraid that they're going to shame us or we're afraid that they're going to ridicule us or maybe even persecute us, what we do is we lessen our stance a little bit and we play to you so that you leave us out when you start bashing folks. That's what happens. When we get, when we get scared of people, instead of unapologetically just standing on the grace, truth, mercy, and love and justice of God, instead of us doing that, we start to back down a little bit so that you don't talk about us bad. Or, and this is happening, by the way, this is happening a lot. But the other part of that is we get so scared of people that we don't engage people at all because we're scared of everything, so we just distance ourselves from people altogether. The very people that God has told us to influence and reach, now we've shut ourselves off from people, so we don't engage them anymore. Why did we do that? It's because we fear people. We're scared of people, truly. Sometimes it has to do with the insecurity that we don't even know what we believe ourselves. So we don't want to get in a conversation because we don't know the answers. So we distance ourselves. We're scared of the conversations. Many Christians, again, are tempted to do that right now. We're afraid of an alternate way of life. And, and so because there's a different worldview, instead of engaging that worldview or even standing on our own based on the truth of God's Word, we begin to distance ourselves from people or we'll just say, you know what, I think part of what you've got going on is right. Don't put me in this other camp with these folks. Just put me on your side so that way you leave me out when you start talking bad. This is what fear does. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25. The Bible says, Fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. Fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. Safety, what do you mean? Man, they could harm us. They could talk bad about us. They could kill us. And Jesus says, hey, the worst thing I can do is kill you. Worst thing they can do is take your life. And then you go to heaven as a believer. I mean, that's, that's what the word of Jesus is. Whoever has your fear has you. You start playing to them. If we're fearful of people. Now, this is what about if it's not people that we're afraid of? What if we're afraid of a circumstance? We're afraid of a situation. We're so scared that this will happen that we will pattern our lives so that we miss that, any chance of that actually happening. We'll, we'll pattern our lives so we are away from the circumstance altogether so the possibility of that happening is actually taken away. We're just so scared of it that we're not getting close to it. How many of you have seen the movie Lonesome Dove? 
All right, a few of you, some of you are like afraid to raise your hand. It's fear, man. Okay. If you've seen Lonesome Dove, there's a part in Lonesome Dove where, where a guy is riding across a deep creek on a horse, falls off the horse, and he's killed by a, a bed of water moccasins. Kills him. Dead as a hammer. I saw that when I was a kid. I didn't swim in freshwater until I was in college. I'm not kidding. No joke. Those, uh, those friends of mine that are in here, they know I don't like it. I don't like that fresh water. I don't want to jump in the river because there's a bed of water moccasins underneath my feet. It scared me to death. And so because I was afraid of that situation, I distanced myself from anything other than a swimming pool. I wanted to take myself away from anything that could actually happen. I- I'm afraid of the circumstance. So what happens? Whatever or whoever has your fear has you. It has you. Now, there's nothing wrong with living in caution. And caution and fear are two different things. In fact, the Bible's going to tell you that cautious or, or caution is wise. It's wisdom. The scripture says in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 16, that the wise are cautious and they avoid danger. Fools plunge ahead with reckless confidence. The wise are cautious and avoid danger. And fools plunge ahead with reckless confidence. So even now, as you think about 2020, you're thinking about people coming back to church. Should we or not? Should we wear masks? Should we social distance? We know this is real. Some of us don't think it's real. And I know we could get into that conversation. But, but there's a difference between living in fear and living in caution. And, and, and so caution... Is, is wisdom. It's biblically wise to do that for you and for someone else. But listen to what the scripture says. The wise are cautious and avoid danger. Now that word danger is actually translated evil. The wise are cautious and avoid evil. Morally or naturally wrong. So think about it like that. The wise are cautious and avoid morally or naturally wrong. The wise are cautious and avoid evil. When I was a kid, scared to death of roller coasters. Scared to death of them. My family and I, we went to an amusement park somewhere in Virginia, I think. I was probably about 10 years old. My sister loved them. But she wanted me to ride with them because if I didn't ride the roller coaster with her, she had to call on my dad. Dad, would you please ride with me? I have to stand in this long line by myself because I wasn't going to get on one. I was scared to death of them. I was not scared of water rides, though. Those didn't scare me that bad. So we came upon this ride called Something Grizzly Rampage, and it was connected to something that I thought was at Opryland, and it had water coming out of the sign. And so my sister told me that it was a water ride. Yeah, you a bald-faced lie, all right? (laughs) My sister told me that it was a water ride, and I was like, well, I can handle a water ride. So I get in line. Now, we are making our way through the line, and I keep seeing, like, this roller coaster above our heads, and I'm like, I don't know what ride that is. We're getting on a water ride, right? (laughs) People keep making their way. We're getting closer to the gate, and all of a sudden I look, and I'm like, the cars that are in front of me are matching the one that's going above our head, doing spins. And I figured it out, right? I was like, Corey, you've lied to me, you liar. This is a roller coaster. And she was like, you can't go back now. You know? (laughs) Couldn't get out of line. The gates are up and all that. So we get on that roller coaster, and I mean, it took off, and I was doing one of these things. I was turning my head, and about five seconds in, I was like, "Woo!" It was awesome. It was great. And I'm so glad that I got on it, because it was great. I mean, I'd get on one right now. Because 
roller coasters present a little bit of risk, but they're not evil. They're not morally or naturally wrong. Does that make sense? The wise are cautious. And look at the scripture. The wise are cautious. Let's get one. Fearing, or the wise are cautious and avoid danger. Fear, fools plunge ahead with reckless confidence. Now, I want you to think about that in your head because here's where we're going to talk about something different. If you're fearful of a mission trip, if you're fearful of going on a mission trip, or if you're fearful any time the word outreach comes up in front of you, you're not alone in that. Because that involves people, it involves travel. Sometimes our, our fears can, or our, our thoughts can go to those things, those types of risks that we're going to be in front of people. There's barriers. How do we do this? And all these things. But listen to me. Mission trips are not evil. Mission trips are not morally or naturally wrong. Amen? Therefore, if you find yourself distancing yourself from anything involved with outreach and missions, it's probably not because you're cautious. You may just be flat out scared. And living by fear, as I find it, is not living at all. Just something for us to think about as we get to October and begin to talk about missions a lot. So, what we've got to do is we've got to pray and discern the reasons why we do things or what that we do and ask, is this out of caution or is it out of fear? Is it because I really know that there's a real risk and I'm not going to play with fire? Or is it because we're just scared of the unknown? And we're going to live in that fear because we do, and it has, because it has our fear, it has us. Now, we've talked about living in fear to circumstances and situations. We've talked about living in fear to people. So what, this is what Jesus is leading us to. What about living in fear all respect of God? Because if we live with respect to God, if we live in all of God, we'll play towards God will then yield towards God His standard, His worldview, because we believe that He is above all. Because we fear God, we want to stay in God's good graces. And because we want to stay in God's good graces, now we start watching our mouth. Now we start watching our mind. Now we start guarding our eyes. Now we start watching the movements that we make because God Almighty is over us. And we fear God above any circumstance. We fear God above any person, any situation. So we're going to do this according to what God's Word says and how the Spirit of God leads us into all truth. Because we fear God. We want to be found right with Him at all times. And because we fear God and know that God has all the power to harm or to help, we're going to walk by His steps and go by His direction. The Scripture says in Exodus chapter 22, when God gave the Ten Commandments to Israel, when He gave the Ten Commandments to, to Israel, you could look back there in Exodus chapter 20, you'll see that He revealed Himself to the people by lightning and smoke coming off the mountain and the thunder, and it was all very real, like a tornado warning here, and you begin to get a little bit of fear there. But you know here in Exodus chapter 20, it's God that's doing these things in particular, on purpose, to let you know He is who He is. And Moses says to them in Exodus chapter 20, verse 20, Don't be afraid. Fear not. For God has come in this way to test you so that you fear Him and that fear of Him will keep you from sinning. The reason why we do whatever we want to do whenever we want to do it is because we fear man or a situation more than we fear God. We, we fear ourselves even to the point where we're going to do what we want to do because we don't want to let ourselves down. 
So we'll play to ourselves and to our feelings rather than to play towards God and to yield towards God. The disciples were thinking about the here and now. They're thinking about the present reality. And you know what? We're just the same. We value our life. We spend a lot of time and effort to enhance ourselves, to enhance our life, to maintain our life. It's all about us. We live this way. Everything's got our name on it. We're so invested in this life. And while we should biblically value our lives, Jesus knows the weight of eternity. And he also knows the influence and the value and the power of God. So he tells them, do not be afraid of people and fear God above everything, even yourself. Now, before we bring this to a close, I want you to notice verses 6 and 7. Because in verse 5, if all you know of God is verse 5, when you read, fear God who has the power to kill you and throw you into hell, you're going to have a very short-sighted view of God. And and again, I I read this from a commentary, the one who fears God will find a God who cares for his own. Look at verses 6 and 7. Jesus said, what is the price of five sparrows? Two copper coins? Yet God does not forget a single one of them. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. The first, don't be afraid, had to do with people. The second one is this. It has to do with God. Don't be afraid that God has forgotten you. Listen to me. Don't be afraid that God devalues you. Or that he's forgotten you. Or that he does not hold you in, in high esteem. Here's some quick observations here. Sparrows are cheap. Seriously, according to the scripture, they're not valued as much. As much. Two copper coins. Now, some of you are interested to know, what is the translation rate between two copper coins and our current U.S. exchange? I don't know. The point is, is that it's not worth much. That's the point. Two sparrows are not worth much, but God cares about all them birds. And that's what he's saying. Jesus has told us God knows all the birds. (laughs) He knows all of them, cares about all of them. So how much more does our God care for you? God gave us dominion over the birds, amen? He cares about us. And then notice what the scripture takes us to. The hairs on your head are all numbered. Now, if we started counting, some of y'all, we wouldn't get very far. But, But our hairs on our head are numbered according to God. And the point is, If you ever feel insignificant before God, and maybe other people make you feel insignificant, but here's how you should know about God, or here's what you should know about God. He is invested in the very details of your life. God loves you to the point of where he knows every single hair on your head. I don't even, this blows my mind. I can't even wrap my mind around that kind of investment. Are you with me? I mean, I think about a mother's love for a child. A mother knows not only the birth date, she knows the time, she knows how much they weigh, she knows how long they were upon being born. A mother knows when they've had their shots and when they have their shots next. A mother knows what days they've got what homework and when it's due. A mother knows all these things. She knows what's coming, she knows before, she knows what shirt size they're in now, what shirt size they used to wear so that they can give it to somebody else, and what shirt size they will wear because we need to order for next season. This is a mother's love. But listen to me, not the best mama knows how many hairs you've got on your head. Not the best one. So what does that mean? It means God is so invested in his creation. 
and cares for you so much. He knows the details on you and about you that we would never think that he even cares about. This is, this is how much God has for you. So one of the motivations to lead us towards the fear of God is because while God has all the power to help or to harm you, God loves you. I mean, it sounds crazy. It sounds so simple that we should say it that way. But no, for real, God loves you. And I'm, I'm not talking about the kind of love that you've experienced in your life that makes you distrust any other kind of love. Don't compare human love to God's love. Any of those other folks that told you they love you count the hairs on your head? No. God's love for you is not like the love you've experienced. God's love for you is not like the movies because that ain't real. People are pretending. God's love is His love. It's His very nature. He loves you. And while He has all the power of God to do away with you or to help you, He chooses to help you. So the scripture, when it says you need to fear God because God's got all the power to cast you into hell, to take you out, the truth is, is that God doesn't kill us. He allowed his son to be killed for us. That's how strong the power of God is. And that's how strong the love of God is. You see, God doesn't kill us because while he's almighty and anything is possible according to God, because listen, if everything were not possible according to God, he wouldn't be God. And so as we think about the power of God, God doesn't kill us because it, it may be permissible for him, but it's not because God acts according to his will. God does not act outside of himself. God cannot do things that are not in harmony with his nature. According to his word, the scripture tells us in Ephesians 1.11, he makes all things work out according to his plan. And then the scripture tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, he cannot deny who he is. So maybe you feel like God would just throw you away. And all this is whatever because I don't really think I would stand right before God anyway. No, you won't, which is why he gave of himself and sent his son to live a real life to show you how to live. To die real death for your sins and rose from the grave and all the power of God to give you hope of eternal life. God has the power to cast you out, but in his love he wants to bring you in. Does God have the power to destroy us all? Yeah. But it's his desire to save us. You ever think, this is why now when we watch the news and all this kind of stuff and all that's going on, we pray in things like, God, why don't you just take them out? God, why don't you just, just destroy the whole thing? Well, that's what you want. That's not what God wants. It's God's desire that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. God wants to save them, folks. Do you? You want them to be saved? Or do you want us to be right and then be wrong? Woo! Closing thought. Give your all to a greater object. A-W-E, not A-L-L. Give your all, give your respect to a greater object. This is what... Jesus is saying to the disciples in their fear and attachment to this world, give your all to something greater than just the people and circumstances. Give your time, attention, affection, respect, reverence towards God who has limitless power. My dad and I, my dad's here this morning, my dad and I took my son, my nephew, uh, to an Auburn game, heaven help us, help us. We took a uh, we took my son and my nephew to an Auburn game uh, last year or two years ago. I think it was two years ago. And so we're walking 
amongst everything. We're taking in the pageantry of college football. Man, we're just glad it's on, right? Like, we're just, we're taking all of it in. There's the band that's striking up. It's going down one street. You got cheerleaders over here. The coach and the player just walk by. The stadiums are there. The crowds, the good old days where people were in a crowd, amen. I mean, like, every, the, all the stadiums were lit up, and it was, it was so much fun. And, and Dad and I are taking them so that they can experience it. And, and all of a sudden, we turn, and they're running towards something because they are now giving their all to all that's going on. And we find them at a forklift. Seriously. It was like the bands are going, football players walking by, and, and then my son and my nephew were like, cool, a forklift. <laughs> and so we, we took their, we have the picture. We took a picture with them on the forklift. See, they gave their all to a lesser object. Fear, entertainment can do that. But fear has a way of doing that. When, when we get in this place where we are growing fearful of pain, of suffering, of Death at the hand of another. And y'all, that's serious stuff. It's very serious things. To, to have this fear of, of, of other people and what they can do to you. And all of this is heavy for man as we are here on this earth. But it can leave us so afraid that we are giving our respect towards a lesser object when God is alive and well. When every human has their limits to help or to hurt. And God has unlimited power. And unlimited love, our awe and our reverence should go to Him. It should really dictate everything that we do. And if it doesn't dictate it, it should bring it back to that always. So when you think about what fear you have, what all you have, whoever or whatever has your fear has you. God has your fear, God has you. Give your all to a greater object. Amen? What is the response today to this? You know, for some of you, it may be a decision. Like, now's, now's the time. Now's the time to turn from myself and turn to God. And you don't know how all this goes, and that's fine. But what you can do is this. What you can do is this. Is you can bow your head right where you are, and you can begin to pray and ask God to save you the best way you know how. To turn from yourself and turn to God. Maybe there's a decision that you need to make. You need to decide today, no more of you. I want to live my life according to the will of God. You need to call upon the name of Jesus and trust Jesus to save you. Maybe you need to take the next steps in your faith towards knowing and believing and living in that fear of God, which would be to be obedient unto baptism, to be obedient to join the church and be a part of us. And what does that look like? To start getting in a group and, not, and stop just attending, to actually take it a step further. But maybe today is not really just about a decision, again, like we looked at last week. Maybe today is just about standing on the truth of God. And no longer will we live in fear, cautious is, is wisdom, but living in fear is no kind of living at all. And we'll begin to fear God above everything. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. This altar is open for you. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. This, as we pray and enter to a time of invitation, this altar is open for you. There's nothing that says that you have to come to this altar, but there sure is something special about freely admitting your dependence upon God. Lord, would you lead us now? If we need to make a decision or if we need to walk in obedience, Lord, would you please impress it upon our heart? And God, I know that you will, so it's my prayer that we would yield to you right now. Whether that means we have questions and we don't know the answers and we need somebody to help us and we're going to call on them, or God, that we walk this aisle in faith, or we, 
we bow our heads now and call on you to save us. Lord, that we would respond, that we would not just take this in as a word, but take it as truth that we need to react to. Oh, Lord, I pray over this church, Lord, that you would continue to protect us. But, Lord, we ask that you would use us for your glory. Help us to be wise and cautious. But, Lord, that we would be full of faith so that we would live according to your purposes. We love you and thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. This altar is open for you. Your pastors are here for you.